Father, we thank you so much, God, for, for tonight. We thank you, Lord, for just this room, this room of youth, this room of counselors, this room of parents, this room of people that are united above all things through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that even as we try to build our own relationships, even as we try to invest in our own families, even as we try to strengthen our own sibling relationships, Father, that the relationship that matters most is first ours with you and then ours with others who are in you. And so, God, we pray, Lord, that we would come tonight with soft hearts and open ears and and with minds that are ready, Lord, both to be affirmed of your word and in your word and encouraged by your word, but also to have the wisdom and discernment to think through what are the beliefs and the priorities and the deeply held treasures of our lives as it pretends, as it it relates to this topic of relationship. We thank you, Father, that, that you are a God of relationship, that you are a God that designed relationships, and you are a God that communes in three persons and one God for eternity. We thank you, Lord, that you love relationships and you call us to love the way that you designed them and how you want to build them and how you want to grow them. We thank you. Pray, Lord, that you be with us. Gather us all together. Help us not to be distracted. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a couple weeks ago, uh, when I preached here, I shared about how it's helpful for you not to be distracted during this preaching time, sermon time, by having your phones away. So we, we did this thing that was kind of cool. I, I don't know if it's as easily reproducible now that you guys are all comfortable in your luxury chairs and stuff. But, but when everyone was on the floor, we had you all stack phones. I don't know that we're going to do that today. But I, I hope that the same idea is the same, unless you want to. If you want to do it, that's kind of cool. But... But I want you guys to not let your phones be a distraction to you, that when you're having the opportunity to hear God's word proclaimed together with one another, that there is nothing that your phone can offer. There is nothing that social media has to give. There is nothing that someone who is not in this room, who is doing something else, it is so pressing, Lord willing, that that you need to be next to your phone right now, or you'll miss it. So I'm just telling you that, that in terms of priority, Let's be here, and if you want to do something together with your phones, I'll kind of leave that up to your group and whatnot, what you want to do. But I want us to to come together and talk about this topic of relationships. I was, in my previous church, under the the shepherding of a particular pastor for about 20-something years. Um, Grew up as a high schooler uh, with him. Uh, Since the call of ministry, I served as an intern under him. I went back on staff with him uh, for about you know five or six years uh, as a pastor too. And, and this, one of the things that he said that always resonated with me was this simple idea that was framed in a, in the form of a question. He would always ask, what is the most important word in the English language? Is this thing on? Oh, can make sure it's on? It was working before. Okay, you want to show it for me then? If it's not going... Okay, he, would, he would always ask, whether it's personally or congregationally, what is the most important word in the English language? And people would come up with a variety of words. You know, some are kind of, you know, kind of, you know, nerdy and kind of believe these long, difficult words, or, or some are just kind of really simple and being silly. But he would always come back to the most important word in the English language is relationship. You know, God believes that too, because God is a relational God. And for us to, to know him, it began with him, beginning a relationship with sinners by sending his son to reconcile us to himself. 
And even now, he knows us. Even now, Jesus is a friend to us. Even now, the Holy Spirit resides in those who have trusted in Christ, who have been given a new heart. And we're able to come to God in close, intimate relationship and be safe and be secure and have our identity unshaken. God is all about relationships. And when I was growing up through this teaching, I'm not quite sure I fully understood it. But now, looking back and kind of even seeing uh, you know, what Scripture teaches about this idea of relationship, um, I, I really agree. So I, I want us to look at something that probably when you're first being exposed to Christianity or the Bible in some way, you start hearing about this simple idea of God is, being, God is holy, God is righteous, God gave laws and what it means to obey him. And you can find the most famous, most popular set of laws in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Okay, so you don't need to turn here. And actually, I'm looking out into this crowd, and I'm thinking you kind of know this. I kind of give you some help up there. Uh, the, the, you know, the, it's, it's listed up there. But I want us to just, you know, one by one, talk about the Ten Commandments. Let's see what it reveals to us about God and what it reveals to us about relationships. Okay, what's the first commandment? Have no other gods before me. Right? Second commandment, what is it? Don't make idols. Don't worship man-made things. Right? What's the third one? Yeah, don't use God's name in vain. Don't use it falsely. Don't use it in a way to uh, further your purposes. Don't use it in a way to defame God's character. Don't use it in a way you know, that takes it lightly. Okay? What's number four? Keep the Sabbath, which is a day of rest and worship. That simple idea of how we were made not to be machines, but we were made to be dependent on God. So even in our obedience to God, we need to rest. Okay? What's number five? Yeah, honor your father and your mother. You'll live long on the earth. So that's some of you, you know, have come to, to learn that. Uh, number six, you should not kill. kill. Number seven, you should not commit adultery. Number eight, you should not steal. Number nine, should not, don't lie. And number ten, do not covet. Okay, now if you have in some ways gone through some, you know, Christian education or even like, uh, you know, your own Bible study here, you know, on your own, sometimes these ten commandments have been broken up into two sections where one seems to have a particular direction and the other seems to have another. So how many of you guys, or which one of you would like to raise your hand and offer to us what those two sections are and where the break is as you've been taught or as you've learned? Be bold. You guys are probably doing this in school anyway. Okay. Go ahead, Brandon. First four relationship with God. Yeah, the last six relationship with man and, and, and men and women. So there's kind of a, a vertical direction in the first four, a horizontal direction in the last six. How many of you guys see that? How many of you guys agree with that? Okay, so I'm not here to bash on that, but let me ask you this: Have we looked into the first four to truly consider? What does it mean to keep it even if our direction is vertical? Let me ask you this. Have no other gods before you. What what will likely be those other gods that will compete against Yahweh, your creator, God, and maker? 
Rubik's Cube. Okay. Man may think, right? What else? Celebrities, attention, relationship, status, objects. It ties into the second six again, doesn't it? If God was your only God, but then there was no horizontal influence, you would have no other gods to worship because that's it. Okay, how about number two? Make no idols. Do not worship anyone, anything that's man-made. Don't worship that instead of me. Where does that come from? That comes from horizontal values, horizontal manufacturing, horizontal creativity. That's a people thing. What's number three? Don't take God's name in vain. Don't use God's name wrongfully. Don't take it lightly. Don't use it as kind of like a, a collateral. Oh, I swear to God that I won't do it. Don't use God's name as a collateral. But who would you say those things to? People. You would say those things as a means of earning favor, as a means of proving yourself, as a means of making good with other people. This is a relational issue. If you were concerned about the horizontal, you would not be tempted with the vertical and taking God's name in vain. And then resting and worshiping, setting aside time for God. You know, this Sunday, we're about to have Super Bowl Sunday. I'm telling you right now, people are missing church. They're going to miss church this Sunday. (coughs) This idea of resting and worshiping of God, I'm not talking about the day, but I'm talking about the occasion of making God the object of your attention, of your desire, of your adoration, of your priorities, this idea of resting in Him because you know you need Him, the idea of praising and lifting up His glory in your life, you would break this because of your horizontal attachments and your horizontal influences. So while it's you can look at the first four and the second six, and okay, there's the direct object of who I would be committing this towards, Who am I aiming my life towards? But at the end, all ten involve you and your relationships with other people. If the relationships with other people did not come into play, did not exist, was not important, was pure, righteous, and holy, and God-honoring, those top four would be much easier for you to keep. But we break those four, and we struggle with the six, and we wonder, well, why is this? It comes back to our hearts and our priorities when it comes to relationships. I'm going to ask for uh, four volunteers here. Um, so, I mean, it's not scary. Just raise your hand. Four volunteers. <laughs> I'm going to give you guys uh, four sheets of paper. Um, there's words on it, and then there's artwork by Tobias on it. I just didn't want to just recycle oh, yeah. these. So. And then I'm going to give it to you guys. And then as a small group, I want you guys to get together and line up in order of what you think are the order of priorities, okay? So from this side to this side, so the highest to, you know, I don't care what you're going to do, as long as you explain. So, okay, uh, right here, okay, we got the same group. So I want to pick you up on different groups, okay? Birthday boy, right here. Uh, what else? All right. Let's, let's get a girl. That's three guys. Okay, so you three come up. I want to see a girl up here. Okay, just uh, don't look, just pick one. <laughs> okay. I need, I need one more person. Can I have a girl up here? Okay, go in front of the tent. 
Can I have a girl up here? Please. Okay, Yvonne. You guys are sitting right there. So Alright, so raise your, raise your sign one at a time and then just tell everyone what it is. So let's start from Yvonne and go this way. Okay, family. Church. Church. God. God. Others. Okay, now let's line up from the greatest, how about over there, to, okay, the highest priority to the lowest priority. Okay. Get, it, get it in order. <laughs> you're not supposed to guess. Well, I mean, at least you got you got to know what you're doing about that. You got to know what you're doing. And this is not about whether they're right or wrong. I just want them to come together and let's let's lay this out, okay? This is probably one variation of it that's legit, okay? Okay. So uh, can we start from can we start from Peter and then just go ahead and read down one at a time? What do you have? Okay, God, church, family, others. Uh, raise your hand if you agree with that. Okay? Uh, raise your hand if you don't agree with that. Okay, uh, a little bit more. Raise your hand if you think this is how it should be, but maybe you don't agree with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't live this way. Like, you think this is the right answer, but you're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is what I really believe. Okay, that's fair. All right, thank you. Let's give it a hand. God, church, family, others. Are you surprised by that order that they gave? You are? Okay. Okay. Now, I want us to, to kind of settle down a little bit and, uh, and think about maybe how that order came to be. So, first of all, what did you notice though, there? What were all those things? Were they just random things, or were they? Yeah, there are people or groups of people that you can have relationships with, right? So, you had God, church, because church is not a building, church is the people. People can meet in a building, but church is the people, family, and others, which is very broad, okay? So there are people you can have relationships with because God is relational as well, okay? All right, but, but how do you think you made those priorities work in your head? You are probably thinking, okay, so what are things that are important to me, or at least what are things that should be important to me, and then in your head, you started to order them around in a way that makes the most sense for you personally, right? And so you were exercising your individual right to think, to have priorities, to consider what is most important. And out of those four things, you thought about yourself and you thought, okay, God, church, family, others are the order of importance. Did you consider necessarily anyone else's thoughts or decisions, per se. Some of you did. But I think a lot of you guys, as you were thinking about that, you were just thinking, okay, what am I thinking? Right? What made sense to me? And they did that together. Now, when we're looking at this topic of sex and relationships, I want to point to that to show you guys something. That... The way that we think, especially growing up here, 
as Asian Americans for the most part, but certainly you know, having this second generation American culture, is that we're very individualistic. We think about what makes sense to me. You think about the things that you love the most or that you like less, and then you make a personal decision as to the order that those things should belong in your life. Right? Everyone's responsible for everyone's own decisions. Everyone thinks about their best interests. Everyone exercises their freedom to consider themselves. But right as we start there, even as we're entering now the Gospel of Mark, you know, just a couple weeks ago, Pastor Henley had preached from Mark chapter 1, and he talked about the calling of the first disciples. And there was this one particular family in which two sons were called to follow Jesus. They left their father in the boat, and they left. And you're thinking, okay, well, that's because they prioritized God, church, family, and others, and so for them, they left because they wanted to put God or Jesus or, you know, whatever it is first, and then they put, you know, family after that, and they left. That makes sense to you, right? So it's a hard decision, but they made it, and, you know, that's, that's what it means to follow Christ. But that's not how it was in the first century in terms of how people made decisions. See, people didn't always make decisions primarily for their own personal preferences and benefits first. So when you're reading about Jesus, talking about brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers, and all of these things, it comes from a particular view of who those people are and how important they should be and how they should influence your decision-making and what it really means to please them or make them happy or honor them in a way that I think we're disconnected from. I don't think we make decisions or think the way that people in Jesus' time would have thought. So that when Jesus is calling you to leave your household so that you can follow Jesus, you're like, no sweat, I'm going to leave my household, I'm going to follow Jesus. My struggle is whether I would be faithful in following Jesus, but this household thing, this church thing, eh, you know, I'm just going to follow Jesus. But it's more than that in Jesus' time. And that's extremely relevant because if we are able to see through the lens of how relationships bound them to many of the institutions and groups that we might know about and we might have, but we see completely differently, then I think we will have a growing appreciation for why even taking three months to go through sex and relationships, talking about family and marriage, talking about dating and boundaries, talking about personal struggles, talking about corporate apologetical issues, you will see why that really matters. Because it matters, not just what we think or what I think, but it matters what God's people think and what God's people do and what it means that we are defined as a family with the same Heavenly Father. That means something a lot more to the people back then than I would venture that it does for many of you. And even for me, when I was kind of reflecting and thinking about this. And so I'm going to take us through a couple of passages today. Uh, they're both passages that involve Jesus. You know, we're kind of in this Jesus zone as a church. And it's a really great place and a really great series of, of books and stories and a focus on Christ that is wonderful. So I'm going to take us there. So we're going to look at two passages today 
Um, and I hope to be able to use those to shed some insight on why then we should be very, very invested in relationships, okay? So the first one is Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 and 22. And if you go to the next slide, it's on there. Matthew, oh, let's go with one more. So that's the list of topics. Okay, so Matthew 8, 18 and 22. Uh, Let's go ahead and read this together since it's all up there. Okay, let's read this. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. All right, so there's two conversations taking place here. The the first one is actually not too difficult to understand uh, for us. Uh, the first one, Jesus is talking to a scribe who is someone that was very uh, well-learned and scholarly, someone that... uh, did religious things and, and, and copied and wrote and, and all these things documented. And he was talking to him, someone that would be a, a religious insider. And he says, you know what? You know what my call is. Follow me. And so in verse 19, he said, you know what, teacher, I respect you. I believe you. I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, so he made a decision to follow Jesus, to trust him and to obey him and to go. And Jesus tells him, well, it's not going to be an easy life. And we know that and we believe that. Maybe very few of us have experienced it, but that's what the Bible teaches, that following Christ isn't supposed to be easy. But that's the end of that story. He gives the instruction, he gives the exhortation, he gives the warning that, you know what, you're not going to have it better than me, and I'm relatively homeless because of my call to preach the gospel and to give my life as a ransom for many down the line. So I'm, I'm homeless, I'm doing God's will. Okay, You're not going to be in a better situation than me. Uh, so, so I think that's you know, helpful for us to remember that following Jesus, there's a cost, but following Jesus, you're pursuing the price. Okay? So that's the first conversation. You kind of can see that there. The second conversation is one in which maybe if we think from our own set of ideas of how we look at the world, we kind of go, okay, well, you know, this is probably what it means, but maybe it means something different. Someone comes up to Jesus who has been part of the crowd, who has been following Disciple just means follower, a student. So this is somebody that's been part of Jesus' crowd, and by calling him a disciple, you know, you give me a benefit of doubt that this is somebody that actually wants to know about Jesus, uh, that cares about what he's been teaching, uh, that wants to listen and obey and trust him. And then Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead, when he brings up the situation of having to first bury his father. Now, usually we jump right into some interpretation, some, some making observations. Okay, does that mean his father is dead and so he has a funeral you know, to take care of? And that, that's hard. Right? Or is it where maybe he's kind of stretching it out, it's, it's an excuse, he's like, oh, you know, my father's fine, but let's just wait until something happens to him and then I'll follow you. So really, he doesn't really want to follow Jesus. So, so we kind of, kind of argue back and forth on that and there's a spectrum of, well, how sincere is this guy? How urgent is this need? You know, how, how pressing is this family situation? But regardless, if you look at Jesus' teaching, it's actually kind of clear. Regardless of what this man was going through, Jesus said this. Leave that behind. 
follow me now. Leave that behind, follow me now. So whether that is a situation in which there was something that was coming around the corner because his father had passed, Jesus says, come. If it's where he's using it as an excuse to delay obedience, Jesus says, come. It doesn't matter. And so for us, if we put our hats on, we're like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I, I, that seems kind of harsh. You know, I, I definitely should do the right thing. Um, I don't know if I can do that. Um, and just even, you know, yesterday, um, you know, I, I was able to be uh, part of, you know, a, a group of people from our church that, that attended um, Chloe's grandfather's funeral. I mean, that was, it's hard, you know, when someone passes away. Um, yeah, I can't imagine, you know, what it looks like, you know, to, to have to make that kind of decision to follow Christ. But we kind of just think, you know what, that's, that's my decision. That's, what can I do? How close am I to my family? But in Jesus' time, it was much more drastic than that. Okay? So I want to share with you a story. Uh, if you can go to the next slide. This is a couple. It's uh, Drew Holiday and his wife, Lauren. And, uh, well, I mean, they're both Bruins. And, you know, that's a good thing. And, and tomorrow, uh, you know, we're playing USC in basketball. So that's a, that's, that's a good thing. And so I wanted to share about them, not just for this. That's just convenient. But I wanted to share about them because of something that recently, uh, a decision they have to go through. So uh, they're, they're holding a beautiful baby girl now. But maybe about a couple of years ago, uh, Drew Holiday made a decision. They found out that his wife was pregnant. So that's a joyful thing. But then they found out that she had a brain tumor. That's a scary thing. So what decision did he make? He decided, you know what? I'm going to take a sabbatical from basketball. He's a professional basketball player. They make millions of dollars. They have a, a cool job, but it's still a job to do. You just don't leave your job usually. But he decided, I'm going to leave my job for however long it takes. Because he, they didn't know. They didn't know to the extent that this tumor at that time was going to do any kind of damage. Would she survive it? Is the baby going to be okay? Like, they had no idea. So given those circumstances, Drew Holiday decided to take that break. Which, when you look back on it now, man, God was so good in so many ways. God was gracious. Because the baby was born. She's healthy. Um, they were able to take care of the tumor, and I think, you know, the eye patch, you know, it's all some kind of surgery related, but, you know, the, the wife is on the mend, and, and he's playing again, and he's actually having a great season. He's having a better season than before uh, he took this break. So everything kind of came together when you look back, and you're able to look at that decision, oh, wow, what an honorable husband, you know, what a great guy, you know, what a, you know, what a, you know, splendid outstanding father, you know, he just, he just took it for the team, and Man, I commend him for being such a sacrificial hero. Is that how you think of him? I wouldn't fight it. I agree. That, that's what we should think of him, right? Because he gave up his career. He gave up a potential you know, future relationship with his bosses, you know, staying relevant by playing, you know, losing his skills, all these things, exposure, you know, future, money, all that. I mean, he gave up something he loved for his family. People, you know, on the outside, while they were praising him, there was many that actually say, no, I don't know. I mean, I mean, she seems okay. You know, why does he need to take the sabbatical, right? But if you connect it back to Jesus' day, it, you know what uh, would have been the response that people had? The fact that he chose to 
take a sabbatical to take care of his wife and to take care of his kid, risking everything else, the response that people would have had was, that's right. He needs to do that. Family is more important than anything. His career, who cares? His future, who cares? Family is number one. His child is number one. People wouldn't have praised him for that. People would have praised him if, or people would have criticized him if he didn't take this break. But for us, we see this heroic sacrifice that he made because he loved his wife so much. But in Jesus' time, love wasn't even that important. But it was this commitment to family. Like, family is our, my number one thing. And having children is so important. So I will leave everything behind to be there to take care of my family. That was during Jesus' time. And so another way of making that clear is that the group was more important than the individual. The group is more important than the individual. What is the American ideal? The freedom of the individual. Who cares about the group? But in Jesus' time, it was the group meant everything. Who cares about you? And that was what was right. See, now this is where some of us, if we you know, have more of a, a connection to maybe our heritage and where we came from, we, we can start smelling that. We're like, yeah, I think that's how it used to work. But I don't believe that anymore. I don't live that anymore. I don't feel that anymore. But I kind of sense it, you know? Some of the decisions that you know, I heard like my grandparents made or great-grandparents, I mean, that was weird. But it probably was because of a heavy emphasis on group as being the top value and your individual preferences and freedom is secondary. If not irrelevant, these are the need to keep the group. Now, another aspect of society at that time, of culture, was that your most important group then is your family. So you belong to a variety of groups, but the most important one is your family. Okay, this is, there's no romance in this, okay? It's just your family. They're the most important. Okay, no sentimentality. They're just the most important. And then finally, your siblings are actually the closest people that you have. Those of you guys with siblings, I'm looking around going, ah, I don't know. You know. I have some better friends. I have even some lesser friends that I like more than my siblings. Right, so on and so forth. But your siblings were the closest because why? When a woman got married, she belonged to the household of the man. So she becomes somebody that fulfills the man's line, giving birth, producing family, so on and so forth. That identity to the husband is not primarily rooted in sentimentality and romance, but it's to build strength in families. And so who is like the person, who are the people that it's not where you're questioning what your relationship is based on? It's your sibling. Right? So you grow up with your siblings. They're the closest people you can have. And when you have siblings, and even things go on in your home, in which you're you know, combined home with multiple generations, you can always have your sibling. And you're the closest to them. Okay? So a lot of this I'm sharing with you is from the writing of uh, one of my uh, professors back at Talbot, Joe Hellerman. Uh, but he wrote about this idea of ancient Near East family and examined it a little bit. And so why does this then shed light onto even that story? 
Well, so when Jesus said, regardless of your situation with your father, leave and follow me, what would be the common response to that day? That's crazy. Ridiculous. That's wrong. That's sinful. That's the worst thing that you can do. We wouldn't react that harshly towards it as much because it matters less to us. But for Jesus to teach that, it meant the greatest of obligation. It meant the greatest of sacrifice. It meant the greatest of surrender. And so what was the value then? If group is more important than individual, it matters what group you're a part of. If your family was important more than anyone else, then it matters that the relationship within your family is meaningful. And if siblings are the closest, then to say that someone is your brother, to say that someone is your sister, is the greatest expression of intimacy and closeness that you can have of another person. Not what we might know of today. Okay, so just hold on to that for a minute. Now let's go ahead and turn to the next slide. I want us to look at another passage from from Matthew. Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 46 to 50. And and again, it's up there on the screen if you don't um, have Bibles, paper Bibles in front of you. But let's go ahead and read that together too. Matthew 12, 46 to 50. While he was still speaking to the people, I can't hear you here. Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, let's put that hat back on of what we just learned about family values in Jesus' time. What is Jesus saying about his family, and what is Jesus saying about this other family? What is he saying about his own family? Are they important? Yes. But, what are they less important than? Yeah, the family in Christ who are obedient to God. That family is important, is of the most importance. In fact, when he said this, it's not just like a token throwaway, like, oh yeah, I know, we're brothers, we're sisters. But it's, you know what? That closeness that you have with your actual brothers and sisters, what you can have with others who are following me, who are obedient to their Heavenly Father, is even greater. And this is a gift that your Heavenly Father gives to you. These relationships that are primarily centered upon obedience to God and a relationship with Christ. So, group think. The group is the most important. Family is the most important. Your siblings are the closest. Jesus replaces all the highest and the greatest groupings and relationships and says, if you are a follower, a disciple of me, you are going to have the closest relationship you can ever have. 
Now, I don't want you guys to necessarily raise your hands on this, but just think in your heart. Are there even a couple of people in your life that fit in this category that, you know, because, simply because they're Christians, it doesn't matter how mature you are, how long you've been a Christian, how much you know, but simply because they're a Christian, they're the closest thread you've ever had. I know growing up, I, I didn't have a lot of that. I, I don't think this was descriptive. I mean, I went to church. I was a part of fellowship. I served. Did a lot of things. But I don't think that this was descriptive of my life growing up. And you know what? You have your parents. And Jesus, the value of the culture is there. Jesus is not knocking that. He's not saying that my mother and my brother and sister are not important. He's saying that the relationships you can have with those who are following him are even greater. The expectations, the joy, the thrill, the commitment, the satisfaction is even greater. Which is why, you know, this is kind of just giving a sneak peek. This is why when you're going to commit yourself to the most intimate relationship you can have with another human being in marriage, this is why they should be people following Christ with you. Because otherwise you're doing this with your life. You're fighting internally with the people you're supposed to be the closest to is not your spouse. You see it, right? You guys can see this. This is not just rules for you to keep because that's what being a good Christian is about. But if the relationship you have with other Christians are the closest and it's a gift from God to you, and that's not your husband and that's not your wife, how do you expect that to work? Now, God works through that, and I know sitting here, there are those of you, you know, with parents that have, you know, one, that's one believer in a family, or maybe even parents that came through a journey of conversion and obedience by God's grace, where they came to know the Lord, but maybe when they got married, they weren't. Praise God for that. But let's just look at scripture for what it says and think, is that the wisest thing to do, to have your closest relationship being something that excludes your spouse? It doesn't make sense. And Jesus said what he said here as a blessing to the people in the crowd. That you know what? You guys have family relationships. You have this belonging to a group. I have something greater for you, for people that are following me. I have something even better. Brothers and sisters from another mother, but with the same father. Even better. Dr. Hellman paraphrased a theologian named Cyprian, and he made this statement out of something that Cyprian has said. Dr. Hellman said, okay, can you go to the next slide, please? He who does not have God's children as his brothers and sisters does not have God for his father. So this is not just a token brother or sister, which sometimes we do at church, that if you see another person, you put this title in front of their name. Oh, your brother is so-and-so. Your sister is so-and-so. No, in context, this is talking about your intimate, closest relationships. If you do not have and are not investing in these kind of Christ-centered, spirit-filled, God-ordained relationships with other believers for which you can not only know, but you can feel 
a brotherhood and a sisterhood, then how can you know God? Because you're part of a family in which you know no one else. How can that be possible? How can you really know that your Heavenly Father loves you? How can you really know for sure that He will never leave you or forsake you? How can you really experience the fullness of what it means to be reconciled to the one that made you if in your earthly relationships a lot of that is not there? Now, I'm not saying this so that we're starting to feel sorry for ourselves if we don't have a lot of close friends. But I'm saying this because I think sometimes we contribute to this in that we don't value Christian friendship and relationship the way that God sees it. We just think that, oh, I have a bunch of friends. And I share hobbies with them. I share interests with them. We go to the same school. We like the same clothes. We dress the same. We Whatever it is. And those are my friends. And some of them are Christians and some of them are not. And I really want to share Christ with the ones that aren't and bring them to Unicoin. See, see how you're running with that a little bit? But I think what Jesus is saying here is not just, you know what, you have your, all these groups of friends, so make the most of it. But Jesus is saying, you know what, I'm giving you a set of people for which you can know and grow and commit and serve and run with that are going to be your closest friends like a brother or a sister in that time. But certainly, more than a casual by name brother and sister of this time. Something much deeper. Something eternal. You realize that at the end of it all, you're going to be worshiping your Heavenly Father with other brothers and sisters exclusively. There's not going to be people in heaven that aren't your brothers and sisters. I mean... Angels aside, you know where we're going with this, right? So, if there are people in heaven, they're your brothers and sisters. That's the, that's all you got when you get there. But that's a blessing, it's a joy. And we get to experience that and pursue that now. If, at least, to begin with, we're willing to invest and willing to think of people in a new light. We're willing to prioritize certain conversations and opportunities and ways of connecting across generations. You see, Uncle Ivan is back there, but if you're in Christ, he's a brother who has a lot of wisdom and who has a kid and who has done a million things and he's somebody that is a gift for many of you because this is God's plan. This is not just because the older guy is here to tell us what to do. It's because it's a gift to have brothers and sisters. Jesus made this to be the greatest set of relationships that we have. So you think that horizontally, and that's easy, but then that's where we get into the vertical, intergenerational relationships. It's where older couples and younger couples, it's where grandparents and grandkids, if you're in Christ, this is the most intimate and valuable and significant relationship you can have. And this is... Not even touching marriage yet. Which is why this whole entire first month we're talking about relationships. Just Christian relationships. It's not that they're insignificant because there's no love involved or romance. They're much more significant because they're not linked only in a fragile way by emotional love and romance. They're linked by truth and a status that you have 
in Christ. And that's eternal. So you can start investing in that today. Or you could keep running around. Now I have a few more things. Uh, so can I have a few more volunteers? <laughs> no, not if you've been chosen already. Yes. All right, Vincent. Two more, two more. At least one girl, that's the rule. And it, you just went, birthday boy. It's not how it works. Oh, that's true. No, I still can't go twice. Okay. Oh, no, no. Are you, okay, right, let's see. One more, one more, one more. One more, one more. Okay, so same thing. I know, there's only three. It's not even a complicated thing. All right, so here, take one. Take one, take one. Now try to put this in order then in light of what we talked about. Go, go stand in front of me or don't, don't let me block you. What do you think biblically are the ways in which you should be thinking? Okay. I, I think he was looking at a coupon that he was talking about. Yeah. That's for real, Zach. We, we like soup that's our thing. Okay, so let's start, let's start from uh, that side, farthest away. What is it? And I'm thinking that you're in a particular order. Oh, no, you can choose yours. Hey, My family. Others. Others. Okay, so, so what's the order of importance? Starting from uh, Vincent? That way, or starting from this way? Okay. If we were to think biblically, this is how we should think about our relationships. It's not individually my choice, my preference of God, church, family, others. It's us needing to think there's God's family, there's my family, and there's others. Now, stand up here a little bit longer because this is, this is fine. Um, there's, starting this weekend, the next three weeks, we're, we're teaching baptism and membership classes. Okay? I'm not trying to talk you into it for the sake of talking into it, but I want you to know what it is. So a baptism membership class is where people who, in faith, have trusted in Jesus to save them from their sins, they've repented and they're following Christ, they've been given a new heart, now they want to go from their family to join God's family in the local church. Because everyone that's a Christian, yes, you're part of the universal church, and that's very broad and very global, and you can run into any Christian down the street. But when you're part of a local church, there's a sense of, you know what, these are my people. This is who I'm going to say brother and sister, and I mean it because I'm going to see them over and over again. I'm going to worship with them. I'm going to serve with them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to cry with them. I'm going to struggle with them. Local church, that's what we're for. And... When you get baptized, part of the Great Commission, public, is so that you declare your faith and you move, not just move, but you, you add yourself from just your family unit, you're adding yourself and joining God's family unit. So that's what that is. And, and that's why there's a, a process in which we teach you what that means and biblically where you find you know, the support for that and the commands and so on and so forth. But it's thinking God's family, my family, and others, and thinking how I can tangibly be a part, actively, intentionally, of God's family. So no one has to guess that you're a Christian, because you're saying, you know what, I'm a Christian, and this is my church. This is the people that I'm going to walk with and support and grow with. There's no guessing. Like, are you? There's no guessing required. 
just like you don't have to guess, people don't have to guess what family you're from most of the time simply because of your last name, right? Or who you're with or who you're seen with. That's your family. Same thing. But it's official and you declare it and it's formal. But then see, a lot of times our reasons are, oh, am, am I ready? Is this something I want to do or do I believe this is necessary? You, you see, that's a very individualistic thinking. But in Jesus' time, that, that was not even on the table. It was like, okay, well, you know where you came from. Do you want to be where I am? God's family. And if yes, <laughs> repent, leave things behind, follow Christ, profess your faith, get baptized, join a church, and be filled with the Holy Spirit and serve and grow and help. That's how people made sense of things. There's not this, what do I think? Now, don't get me wrong. It's important for you to know what you think and for you to believe what you believe. So this is not saying, oh, just do whatever ignorantly. But I think it's more of a challenge for us personally as to who is the king of our lives. Who makes the ultimate decisions that we make? Is it me and my preferences and my limits and my input and my influences? Or is there a higher being whom I worship, whom I owe my life to, who saved me from my sins, for which if he said it, then I say yes. That's not not thinking. That's thinking and then saying, God, even if I don't understand something, I'm going to trust you because I'm going to grow with these people that are going to help me. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for being out here. So God's family, my family, and others. That's how we should be thinking. And I think when you think that way, the rest of the series will make sense too. So real quick, can you go back a few slides? There's one which I lay out every March and April. I just want to give a quick preview of that. So here's what we're going to be doing. Uh, this month we're going to be talking about relationships, but it's not just romantic relationships. It's about mentoring and discipling, and Uncle Ivan's going to lead that. It's going to be about biblical manhood and womanhood, which is what each of you, God made as a man or a woman, to what you're expected and called to live out. This is who you are and how you're supposed to relate to others. That's biblical manhood and womanhood. In March, we're going to start talking about relationships that include boundaries, that include certain friendships, which are so important because that's how we relate to each other. We're going to talk about marriage and sex. We're going to talk about <coughs> sins that we struggle with, social media. We're going to talk about how to make sense of apologetical issues like transgenderism, like, you know, that kind of stuff. We, we want to educate and we want to learn. And then in April, we're going to give you guys time just to hang out in your small groups for one week because you need to process this. And we also hope that you recognize and appreciate that, you know what, this brother and sister thing, this is for reals. So we're going to have our own time to work this out. And we're going to you know, talk to our counselors about this. We're going to turn to them with things and, and ask them questions. And you know, we're going to engage and so on and so forth. So we're sitting aside time to do that. And then at the end, we're going to wrap up with a Q&A. Not sure who's going to be on the Q&A panel yet, but we'll, we'll figure it out. So um, that, that's what it's going to look like. We'll, we'll keep you guys posted uh, you know, along the way. For the month of March, though, uh, we're going to be sending your parents a permission slip. So I'm telling you guys first before your, well, I, your parents kind of know, but you guys know a lot more now. And so just kind of know that that's coming and make sure your parents sign it. Um, so we're going to do an, an electronic permission slip for that, so you'll hear more about it. All right, so let's go ahead and finish up here. Let's go to the bottom. Uh, okay, uh, up one more. So our, our goal of this series is to bring these three things together. Okay, so ortho 
Taksi, which is what we might have heard, is, is having the right beliefs, okay? Having beliefs that are straight, okay? So we're going to teach you that, okay? We're going to teach you what the Bible teaches about a variety of things about relationships, okay? Orthopraxy is very important. It's how do you live things out? So, yes, we know we're supposed to love God and love neighbor. Yes, we know we're supposed to do all these things. Yes, we know that we're family. But how do you live that out in a variety of ways? You know, from the most broad to the most committed, Right, to the, to the most reach, to the most narrow. Okay? So we're going to do that, and we're going to be able to have the different teachers share particular perspectives and, and insights and wisdom on how to live out these things. Not just know it, but to live it out. The application drives it. And then there's orthopathy. How should you feel? Now, we can't tell you how to feel, but we would be foolish to ignore your feelings. In other words, as Christians, God made as people, God made you in his image to have feelings. So sometimes we live in a time in which we're driven by our feelings, but yet we don't know how to deal with them. And it, it leads us to sometimes make decisions or, or enter into situations that aren't the best, that aren't pleasing to God. But those feelings aren't to be ignored. Those feelings are to be addressed. Not ignored, but addressed. So the purpose of this series is to bring all three of those things together, united in the gospel, united in Christ. And now every week, you're probably going to have, you know, maybe certain areas that are stronger than others, certain emphases that are more particular to that topic. But the goal is to bring the three together. That it's not, who cares how you feel, or it doesn't matter what you think, or, you know what, I'm not living this, who cares? No, all three of them matters. All three of them matter. But... Each week, we're going to focus on things differently. Okay, so I want you guys in your small groups, then, we're going to have a response song after this, and I want you guys to, um, to address these questions. And uh, the way that I want us to approach the questions is not you got to answer all of them, but it's just their starting points for you. And uh, your counselors are, are able to make the call as to how much or how little you want to look at. One is, what are the relational priorities in your life? Okay, we started by looking at four very common ones, God, church, family, others. What are yours? Share about that. Um, according to Jesus, how does being a Christian connect with your relationships and commitment to others? Um, and how, what are his priorities? Okay, so you can talk about that. And then finally, this is the most important, actually, and we're going to have pieces of paper for you. What are questions and issues that you have related to this upcoming series for the next few months? So we're giving you paper so you can be honest. And if you don't want to put your name, that's fine. But what would help is if we could at least know your gender and, if possible, your grade. So it's a, I guess, you know, it's what you feel comfortable But at least your gender. Give us your gender. It really helps because God made men and women different. If we don't know where you're coming from gender-wise, it's a little hard for us to even begin. But if you, the more information you put, it's better. And if you are willing to put your name, that's the best. But it's trusting you with what you feel, uh, what you think is you're comfortable with. We want the questions. We want the topics. Okay. Um, all right, so let me go ahead and close. And, you know, for the sake of time, um, let's just, after I close, we'll just sing the chorus to, to that song, and then we'll, we'll break up. Okay? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done. We thank you, Father, for creating us in your image so that we are made for a relationship. We thank you, Father, for all the ways in which we can grow and be challenged in the next three months. Thank you, Father, for uh, all the topics and, and all the ways in which uh, we have the privilege of being with each other through this. And we pray. God, that you would remind us of how precious and how important it is to be your child and how valuable it is to have 
Christian brothers and sisters, not in name only, but in life, in experience, in burdens, in prayers, in difficulties, in trials, and in joys, in successes. We, we pray, Father, that you will grow our desire and appreciation for those who are our brothers and sisters in the faith. And we pray, Father, that you would lead us to grow more and more in our love and commitment in our desire to be a part of your family and how we live and how we feel. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.